the topics that we are going to talk about matters enough for us to be asking questions. And for today, the thing that we are trying to wrestle through really is the confusion of gender and sexuality. It's a sensitive topic. It's a tough topic, I know. But I also know seated here, some of you, you are very familiar with some of these terms, some of this understanding. You might know more than me. And that's great. But for those of us here who you're not too familiar, when we refer to gender, we are really referring to gender identity. And right now, at least in the mainstream media, uh, there's a difference between your gender identity and your biological gender. So my biological gender could very much be a male, but my gender identity could very much be different from what I'm born biologically with. So I could identify as a female. Take for instance. Now, when we talk about sexuality, we are really referring to your sexual orientation. And what this means is really the sexual appetite for your sexual appetite for either the same gender, someone of a different gender, or something else for that matter. So I'm going to quiz you all a little bit. So Jason, his biological gender is male. But assuming, just for, for quiz sake, Jason's gender identity is female, and Jason's sexual orientation is homosexual. Now, would Jason like someone like Pastor Tim or like someone like Teresa? Okay? Now, raise your hand in 3, 2, 1 if you think it's Teresa. Raise your hand in 3, 2, 1 if you think it's Pastor Tim. Some, and most of you don't even dare to raise up your hand. <laughs> right? Confusion. Now, actually, uh, right, the answer could go many ways, but if I identify as a female, but my orientation is homosexual, I would be liking someone like Teresa. Oh, right? Now, of course, more than just the, the, the different thinking and thoughts in this topic, I need to admit that this topic is also a very delicate, very sensitive topic. And though some of you laughed just now at the example I gave, never think this is just a Western world problem. The example I just gave was from a Malaysian. It was a tension that a Malaysian had to wrestle with. It wasn't in someone from the Western world. It was right here in our neighborhood. And recently, I was talking to another Malaysian pastor. And this Malaysian pastor was telling me, you know, 14 years ago, around 20, uh, 2009, uh, there was someone from the homosexual community came to church and the pastor that time wasn't too familiar with this whole movement, this whole thinking, this whole topic, uh, really out of the kindness of his heart, decided to, you know what, the guy reached out to the pastor, the pastor encouraged, keep on praying, keep on coming to church. And then the pastor told me, you know, three days later, the individual took his own life at a hotel. And guys, that was 14 years ago. 14 years ago. Never think that this is just a Western world conversation to have, never think that because it is a conversation right here in our doorstep. And because of the delicate nature of this topic and because of the sensitive nature also of this topic, I want to start us off by covering all of us in prayer. So if y'all don't mind, we could all close our eyes, bow our heads as I pray. God, even as we work through some of the questions regarding gender, uh, identity, sexual orientation, God, before anything else, we ask Holy Spirit, you be in our midst. Holy Spirit, you be the one to stir our spirits. You be the one to minister to us. You be the one to help us comprehend what your word says. So be in our midst. Uh, be here to unite us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. This I pray and everyone say, Amen. Now, I want to jump in first by giving a couple of disclaimers. And I think these disclaimers matter when we talk about this topic. The first disclaimer is this. There is a difference between love 
and having to affirm someone's lifestyle. And I want to uh, make this disclaimer first. So I could very much love my younger brother, but if he, during his exam season, chooses to be lazy, doesn't uh, study, instead play games all the time, I could choose not to affirm his lifestyle yet very much still love him. There's a difference. Second is this. Acceptance does not mean endorsement of value. I have had friends in my social group, we ate together and we studied together and they very much value sex before marriage. For them, it's fine. And I could very much accept them into my social group, yet not endorse those values. That's the difference as we navigate this topic. The third disclaimer is this. Disapproval does not mean a fear of the people with values that we disapprove of. And why do I want to say this? Because sometimes when we talk about this topic, words like homophobic, words like transphobic is often thrown around. So if Jason does not approve of uh, my value and my lifestyle of a homosexual, oh, it's because Jason is afraid of all uh, homosexuals. No, it's not that. There's a difference between disapproving and fearing. Fourth, Attention does not mean discrimination. And why I want to mention this is because some would argue, why is the church paying special attention to the whole LGBTQ movement? Why is the church not talking about other sins? Why is the church not talking about other issues? But why is the church purposely giving special attention to this topic? Why is the church discriminating this group of people? Now, to be very honest, if the church does not talk about things like faithfulness in marriage, if the church does not talk about things like uh, keeping yourself poor, uh, pure, if the church does not talk about things like generosity, greed, anger, if the church sees the needy and does not help, then yes, the church is being discriminatory. Because all we do is speak on this particular group of people. But you find at least in every nation, we do talk about faithfulness on marriage. We do talk about purity. We do talk about being generous. We do talk about anger. We do help the people in need. So there's no special attention here and there's no discrimination here. I want to make this very clear also. And lastly is this. We talk about uh, movement, now the latest term at least, and it could anytime change, right? But at least the last one that I saw, the latest was 2SLGBTQIA+. It's long, right? And when we talk about this, uh, I'm just going to work through some of these names. 2S now means two-spirit. So those with a two-spirit gender identity would uh, feel that and believe that they have both the spirit of male and female. Okay, two-spirit. L, lesbian, uh, you all would know. G, gay, so they have a sexual appetite for, uh, if it's guy, then for a guy, right? Uh, bisexual, B, T, transgender. Uh, Q, Last time it was called queer. Now they have sort of included Q could also mean questioning. Intersex is I and A is asexual. And I put here, 2S LGBTQIA is not one category. That's an oversimplification. And the, the, the society would like to say you are either for 2S LGBTQIA or you are against. So you are either an enemy of this big group of people or you are for them. But when you think about it, just logically, how can you say someone who is asexual, which means they really have no sexual appetite for anyone for the matter, how can you say someone like that is in the same category as someone who is transgender? How? 
that's, an, that's a stretch. That's a far stretch. And I want to make this very clear because society often likes to make it a, a us versus them kind of a thing. It's not. It's not. Making it one category is an oversimplification. Now, navigating through all this, the first question that I want to work through is this. How did 2SLGBTQ+, even become popularly accepted? Now, of course, homosexual behaviour especially has existed for a long while, but how did this whole thing become popularly accepted? So, of course, I can't cover all aspects of history, but I'm going to journey through one thread of thinking. And really, this whole word, homosexual and heterosexual, was very much coined in the 19th century, somewhere 1860, around there, by this uh, Hungarian journalist, Caroly Maria Kurt Burney. And at that time, the reason he coined the word homosexual and heterosexual was because he had a colleague who was homosexual, living in a very homosexual lifestyle. And at that time in the era, there was a sodomy law that made it illegal for men to have sex with men, all right? And what happened was, someone found out about his co-worker's homosexual lifestyle and started blackmailing this co-worker of Kurt Burney. And his co-worker eventually could not take the pressure. He also took his own life. And Kurt Burney, in response to that, was really upset. His co-worker, right, his friend, he was upset, he was frustrated. And out of all of that emotions, he began to write many different letters to fight against this sodomy law. And among his letters, he coined this word homosexual and heterosexual. So this was how the word really started off. But this whole movement only picked up momentum really a hundred years later in 1969 in what is popularly known as the Stonewall Riot. Basically, there was this gay community that was in this Stonewall Inn they were just spending time there. And what happened there was a police riot. So the police came in, spot-checked them, and the police was really violent. You can imagine, right? So the police was really violent, beat them up. And at that time, take note of this. Homosexuality was still considered a mental disorder. So really, you can imagine that the police treated them very much less than human. They were hitting them, brutally beating them. And this caused an outrage among the people. So there came this whole gay liberation front that really fought to protect the safety of these individuals and it grew in strength. And eventually this strength was really pressuring on the American Psychological Association, um, the governing board for uh, the psychology movement in America at that time. And eventually they removed uh, homosexuality as a mental disorder. So they removed it from what they call the DSM and eventually the world followed suit. I want to pause right here. Because looking at this, I think it's only fair that we acknowledge that this whole movement started really to protect the safety of certain individuals. They were being beaten. They were being harassed. They were really in danger. And it started really to protect the safety of these individuals. And I think it's only fair that we acknowledge that. But you find in recent years, this whole movement really took a turn. And this is where transgender comes into the picture. You know, prior to 2013, if someone who is wrestling through transgender and uh, this whole gender identity emotions and they find a therapist, in that whole process, it wouldn't be surprising if the therapist would then diagnose them with what is called gender identity disorder. But in 2013, something interesting happened, which was they changed the name of this disorder to gender dysphoria. It's almost like 
all this while, for the years to come, we called fever, fever. And then, 2023, we changed fever to hot stuff, all right? Take for instance, right? We give it a new name. And that's odd. Why are you giving a new name to a disorder that describes the same thing or the same group of people? Why a new name? And here's why. See, prior to 2013, if someone comes and has all of these different tensions and they come to the therapist and eventually was diagnosed with gender identity disorder, as a therapist, typically professionally, they will be treating and addressing the identity. So if you identify as a female, even though you are biologically male, let's address your identification as a female. But with gender dysphoria now, there's a shift of emphasis. Because now if the same person comes, instead of treating the identity, they will treat the distress. They will treat the negative emotions that you're facing. And what's the easiest way to remove the discomfort this person could be feeling because of the differences in their gender identity and their biological gender? What's the easiest way to remove the discomfort? Take for instance, if my brother comes and my brother tells me, Coco, you know, this homework is giving me a lot of stress, it's pressuring me. I could take time, explain to him why this homework is important for you. You are a student right now, you know, you got to align, you got to do your homework, this is good for you. I could take time to do that. Parents, you know how long it takes to convince your child, right? That homework is a good thing for them. Or I could just say, oh, homework giving you stress? Let me take it away. Don't need to do any homework anymore. Don't need. Because I want to remove all distress. That will be a much easier way. And you find when the shift and focus now moves from identity to distress, you can imagine now how all of the treatment and how all the emphasis has changed. And that's why now in today's world, the standard for psychotherapy, in the Western world especially, is 2SLGBTQIA plus affirmative psychotherapy. If now I come in and I feel like I'm a female, though I'm biologically male, then I'll affirm the identity so that the distress is removed. My emotions are protected from anything that is negative and uncomfortable. And I want us to acknowledge this. And I hope we can realize this. What started as a movement to protect the safety of individuals became a movement to protect the feelings of individuals. I want to take note of that again. What really started to protect the safety of individuals and they were harmed. They were, they were beaten, they were harassed. But now it became a movement to protect the feelings of individuals. That's why things like pronouns now, if you're familiar, it matters. Why? Pronouns will affect your feelings. Feelings now become a very big deal. Now that's the historical shift. But of course, talking about this, actually Jason, you might ask, what does the Bible say about all of this? What does the Bible say? And I'm going to start with homosexuality because you find this whole historical movement really started with that. So we're going to start with that. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? And to answer this, one of the most uh, commonly used verses by uh, people, right? In fact, I was recently talking to someone and we were talking about this homosexuality. They also brought up this verse and it's from really Leviticus, which says this, You shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. Someone immediately quote this verse. But for some of you who are a bit more skeptical, I'm giving you some good, good responses, all right? So some would argue this. Oh, hold up, Jason. 
This word abomination, you got to understand that back then when it was used, it was very much referring to cultic practices. Some would argue that the homosexual behavior depicted here is not what is depicted right now in our era where it's about love. It's more of cultic practices of homosexuality. Some would argue that. But my counter-argument to that is very simple. You see, prior to Leviticus 18.22, God was also addressing other sexual sins like adultery, like incest, like bestiality, to think that after talking about this tree, suddenly when it talks about homosexuality, it's just about cultic practices, nothing about the usual sexual behavior. That's too far-fetched of a thought. It really is. And really, in Leviticus, it repeats and emphasizes again, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. And I want to emphasize this word, if a man lies with a male as with a woman. Here it really refers that it's not about cultic practices that forces a man to have sex with another man. No, it really is a choice made by another man to lie with another man. It's a consensual act. Really, it is. Now, some of them would argue, oh, Jason, Leviticus, that's Old Testament. Haven't you heard? Old Testament is old news, right? We are living in New Testament time now. This is outdated. I mean, come on, Jason. Aren't there a lot of Old Testament things that we aren't following anymore, right? Certain things that uh, back then the people of God couldn't eat. Oh, I'm enjoying it right now. Uh, or what about certain festivals like the Sabbath, right? People used to keep the Sabbath, but... Uh, I'm teaching tuition on a Sunday, some would argue, right? So, Jason, isn't Old Testament all news? And some then would maybe use this verse, right? He says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. This are uh, a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And some would say, aha, you see? Now, when Jesus came, he did away with all the old laws. This law that you talk about, about a man lying with a man, homosexual behavior, it's old news. Some would argue that. Is it though? See, the thing is this. When we look at this verse, eating, drinking, religious festival, some of you, you might be familiar with this. It all fa falls under what we call the ceremonial law. And it's true, when Jesus came, He fulfilled the ceremonial law. All of it was pointing to something greater, was pointing to Christ. But never be deceived thinking that the moral law has also been removed. In fact, if anything, when Jesus came, He came to demonstrate a life obedient to that moral law. So the moral law has not been erased. And in fact, if anything else, in New Testament, Paul also writes this. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. So Paul here, he also mentions about this. Now here's where I, I help you to sound a bit smarter than your other Christian friends, all right? Now, you could say, oh, hold up, hold up. Jason, you highlighted three words, right? But don't you know that Paul actually used four Greek words to describe this whole thing that he's talking about. First, he used the word pornoi, which means sexually immoral. Then he used the word moinchoi, which means adulterous, malakoi, effeminate, arsenokoitai, homosexual. And some then would argue, Jason, you got to read the last two words, malakoi and arsenokoitai, uh, together. 
is effeminate, homosexual, and then some would argue what Paul is referring to was the ancient practice of pederasty. Some of you may not be familiar with that word, but this practice was basically this. Powerful men would kidnap younger guys and dominate them sexually to show their power. So some then argued, Jason, Paul here is referring to pederasty, not the kind of homosexual, consensual, loving act that we see nowadays. It's not referring to that. Some would argue that way. Paul, some would argue Paul was referring to a power dynamic, an abuse of power, not about what we see right now. But my counter-argument to that was, would be this. If Paul was referring to pederasty, he could have used the word pederasty. It was in their vocabulary. He could have. But instead, he chose this word asanokoitai, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word we just read in Leviticus. In fact, if anything, some scholars would see this as Paul was very much referencing what we just read in Old Testament, which tells us that the same law applies to today. And what is my simple point? The Bible is clear in regards to homosexual activity, even those that are consensual. And I know saying this, the next question some of us might really wrestle with is this. Jason, why does the Bible restrict me from being truly myself? Come on, right? Why does the Bible restrict me from, from liking someone that I really like, from being who I really am? After all, isn't it God who made me this way? Some would argue. And I will forever remember there was an instance back then when I was a student. Uh, one of the teacher came out of the closet, they call it, right? Uh, and eventually posted on social media that he's homosexual. He's in a homosexual relationship. And then he said this. He said, I'm so happy that I finally came to accept who God made me to be. And I remember he caused so many other students around me to question. Oh, so God created them this way? Is that it? If God created them this way, then why does He restrict them from loving who they want to love? Now to wrestle with this thought, if it's truly God who created people this way, then the natural scientific route is we look at it biologically first and foremost. If someone is born this way, then let's look at the brain studies. If someone uh, is this way because of their DNA, then let's look at the twin studies. Let's look at the chromosomal studies. Let's look at the genome-wide association study. In fact, this was just released in 2019. And you'd find, and feel free, in your own time, you can go and do your research. But what they have come to conclude is this. Even non or not even pro to us LGBTQIA+, scientific community can say that your gender identity or your sexual orientation, let's say homosexual or transgender, they can't even claim that it is because of your biology. In fact, they found that more of it is because of your environment than your biology. Not even the pro to us LGBTQIA+, scientific community can claim that. And that's why now, if you are aware of this whole movement, they begin to shift the lingo. It's no longer you are born this way. It becomes how you feel is who you are. If you feel you are gay, you are. If you feel you are female, even though biologically you are male, then you are female. Why? Because you feel so. And some of you hearing this, you might be wondering, Jason, why is it that when you say it this way, why do you make it sound like a 
such a bad thing. Come on, Jason, is it so bad to just be true to what I feel? Is that such a bad thing? If I love a guy and the guy loves me, how is that a very bad thing? How is it so bad to be true to what I feel? To wrestle through this, I want to go through three tensions very quickly. The first one is this. You know, when feeling becomes a basis of right and wrong, I don't know about you, but for me, it's a scary place. And some of you, you would notice now, besides transgender, there is trans race. Where now Jason, born in Malaysia, father Chinese, mother Chinese, could say, I'm actually white American. <laughs> and you cannot say anything because I feel so. Now, besides trans race, there's trans species where I dress up like a cat, I move like a cat. When you ask me, Jason, why are you behaving like a cat? And I say, meow. Trans species. Why? Just because I feel like it. What else? Now there's transable where someone uh, feels that they are meant to be blind and pour drain cleaner into their eyes. Some of you might be familiar with that no news, right? And now there's even trans age where a six-year-old can attend primary school because they feel that they are eight-year-old and therefore they are eight-year-old. What if we switch the script around? Would you let an eight-year-old feel that they are 21 years old and therefore is 21 years old and buy alcohol? Would you? Would you let an eight-year-old feel that they are 21 years old and therefore they are 21 years old and therefore drive your car? Would you? But then if you tell the eight-year-old, you are too young for that, the eight-year-old will say, but you let the six-year-old join my primary school. And you say, oh, true, huh? Now I've got to talk to the six-year-old. And I say, you are too old for that. And the six-year-old will say, why won't you let me be an eight-year-old when I feel like I'm an eight-year-old when you let a man be a woman just because he feels like a woman? Do you see where this is going? When feeling becomes the basis of right and wrong, it's a scary place. Now, the second tension is this. Some of them would argue, but Jason, isn't how I feel my true, authentic self? Aren't you stopping me from being my real self? Isn't that very restrictive of you? But the second tension for you all to consider is this. Which really is your most authentic self? Your feelings? Or how God designed you to be? Never at any moment think your feeling is so invulnerable that it cannot be shaped. In fact, most of you would agree with me, our feeling is so vulnerable, it's shaped by our background, it's shaped by our environment, it's shaped by our friends, it's shaped by what I'm saying right now. Our feelings is so vulnerable. How can we say that our feeling is our authentic self when it changes at any moment? Food for thought. And the third tension is this. Some would argue, but Jason, put aside all of this, I still don't see how it's so bad when it's all just about love. Isn't it about love? About letting a guy love who he wants, letting a girl love who he wants, letting people love who they are truly meant to be. Isn't it about love? You know, on the banner, it would say it's about love. But I find the real battle, which a lot of us may sometimes forget, the real battle is in the name of love, they are disintegrating who we are. They are breaking apart who we are. What was originally meant to be coherent, your gender identity, your biological gender, your sexual orientation, what was meant to be coherent, now the world will say, oh, no, no, no. Let's break this apart. Let's separate this. You've got to think about your gender identity, different from your biological gender, different from your sexual orientation. It's all different, you know. In the name of love, they are breaking us apart. They are breaking us apart. Disintegration. Now, it's not just at an individual level. It's also at a societal level. Some of you, you may be familiar with this. In U.S., in Minnesota particularly, they just passed a bill to allow teenagers to go through transgender surgery, all right? And in the bill, the scary thing for me is this. 
if found that one or both of the parents are in disagreement and they don't let their teenager go through this um, transgender surgery, which is very much permanent, do you know that the parent now can lose custody of their child? The court can take custody of the child. And the only other two times where the parent can lose custody of their child is if the parent is found to have abused a child or severe neglect. Don't tell me it's about love. When it's breaking families apart, it's not. In for the sake of protecting how someone feels, it even goes to the extent of tearing the person from family. Is it about love? Or is the real battle about a breaking apart and disintegration of who we are? And now, hearing all this, last question perhaps some of us might wrestle with is this. But Jason, it's easy for you to say. You're a straight guy. You're sure of your gender identity. But for me, do not allow me to love who I want. Do not allow me to be who I want to be. Isn't that too unfair? It's easy for you, Jason, to say, but it's difficult for me. Isn't it too unfair? And I can imagine if we bring this question up to Paul, Paul might say, you know what? Some of those in our church, they might know how you feel because that is what some of them were. But you know what's very interesting? When Paul continues, he did not say, that is some, how some of them were. But now, the gay guy has a wife. He didn't say that. He didn't say, now, the lesbian girl has a husband or boyfriend. He did not say that. He did not say, now, the homosexual is now a heterosexual. He did not say that. You know what he said? He said, but now you are washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let me be honest here. If being heterosexual was the goal, if being non-2SLGBTQIA plus was the goal, then I'm with you, it's unfair. But you are fine. That's not the goal. Holiness is the goal. Being heterosexual or being non-2SLGBTQIA plus is never the goal. Holiness is the goal. Christ is the goal. And for some, that could look like you are still wrestling through same-sex attraction, but you are not living in that kind of a lifestyle because you choose to be like Christ, you choose to be holy. And that's fine because you don't have to now be non-gay or non-lesbian in order to be achieved or to be a good Christian. No, heterosexual is not the goal. Holiness is the goal. And once we grasp that, then perhaps some of us are asking then, how do I even start? Where do I even start? Look at the mess that I'm in. Look at the lifestyle I'm living in. Where do I even start? And to answer this, and I'm going to end real soon. This is my last slide. I'm going to read what Paul started this letter with to the church in Corinth. He reads this. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. And the first thing I want to point out is this. Never at any moment think, oh, Jason is heterosexual. He is further up in the line. I'm homosexual. I'm further back in the line. He has it easier than me. No, the starting point of holiness is never about being heterosexual or homosexual. The starting point is being sanctified in Christ. Jesus is the starting line. When you realize Jesus is the starting line, well, the guy with the tendency to cheat in his marriage, the guy with the tendency to have porn addiction, the guy with the tendency to act out in anger, and the guy with the tendency to be homosexual, all are on fair playing ground. You know why? Because the starting point is still Christ. Christ is the starting point. And the second point is this. 
He reads this, called to be saints together. You know, the world will tell us this. If you're homosexual, if you're transgender, stay far from the church. They don't want you. They think you're a nuisance. They think you're disgusting. They think you're such a horrible sinner, born of the devil. Don't go near the church. That's a lie. That's a lie. In fact, if anything, I want to invite you, come to faith community. Come to the church. Be with the saints together. Let us grow step in step in Christ and towards holiness together. And for all of us who are not wrestling with any of this tension, be that saint. Be that saint that loves them. Be that saint that welcomes them. Be that saint that does not look at them weirdly, does not sit far away from them, does not ask your child, oh, don't, ah, you see, ah, don't mix them. Ah. But at the same time, be clear about your values. At the same time, speak what is right. At the same time, together with them, journey towards holiness. Would you be that saint? Would you? And for those who are wrestling through this tension, and I know it's real, I've journeyed with a couple of students and I can say it's not easy. It really isn't. Day to day, week by week, it's a struggle, it's a tension. And for those of you, then I want to continue reading this. Paul says, grace to you. The Bible talks about going to His throne of grace because in your time of need, it is there that you find grace and mercy. In your struggle, as you wrestle, you go to His throne of grace and you ask Him for grace and mercy in your time of need. And in this process, allow His peace to be real in your life. And this peace is not just devoid of all negative emotions. It's not an absence of negative emotions. This peace, you all would know, comes from the word erine. It comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which means wholeness. In a world where they try to disintegrate and break us apart. Your gender identity, your biological gender, your sexual orientation, all of these different when they're trying to tear us apart. You allow God's peace, God's shalom to make you whole. And that wholeness could look differently from everyone. For some, maybe that wholeness could be, I really move out from a homosexual lifestyle. I journey through, I landed at a better spot. And eventually, maybe now, I'm heterosexual. For some, it could be. But I admit for some, it may not be. For some, from a homosexual lifestyle, but still wrestling with same-sex attraction, but that wholeness could be, I am contented being single for the rest of my life because Christ is the one that fulfills me. Christ is the one that fulfills me. And I know that journey is someone, for each, it could be very different. But again, being hetero and all that, that's not the goal. Holiness is the goal. And Christ is your starting point. Can we all bow our heads as I close with a prayer? God, even as we navigate this topic, Holy Spirit, I believe even as uh, I was speaking, I trust, Holy Spirit, you have been stirring within the hearts of some of the people. You have been trying to help them to comprehend. Uh, you have been ministering to them. And Holy Spirit, eventually we want you to be the one to speak to them. Not just from the words that I'm speaking, not just from the slides on the screen, but it's you, Holy Spirit, that touches the hearts of the people here. And help all of us to realize that holiness is a goal and that applies to all of us. And what else applies to all of us? That Christ is the starting line. And God, for those of us here the church that we do not have this tension that we are wrestling with, then help us to be that saint that loves them, that welcomes them, that grows into holiness together with them. And for those of us who are wrestling with this tension, God, please give them grace. God, give them peace. Make them whole. 
that every single one of us eventually we will tell the story of not how we converted from homosexual to hetero, but how we live a life that honoured God, a holy life like Christ. This I pray in Jesus' name and all God's people say, Amen.